0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast, special Monday edition. We've got a special guest on today. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Before we get started, this coming Saturday, we're off for the 4th of July holiday, but we're back to our regular Saturday schedule on July 10th at 11 a.m. Pacific to Eastern with Lit Manager Chris Cook of Skyway Entertainment. Uh, And we've got a bunch of great guests coming up in July and August. Uh, including Lit Manager Chris Coggins of Heroes and Villains, NBC Writers on the Verge instructor Jen Grisanti, Stargate and Utopia Fall showrunner Joseph Malazzi, and many more. So if you're not subscribed and you want to participate in more of our live stream Q&As, hit that subscribe button. Uh, and be sure to follow us on Twitter to stay up to date. At uh, ScriptScribes. But today, we're very fortunate to have on a return guest, making his triumphant return. He just got word of another Emmy nomination just a few minutes ago. Uh, He is an Emmy award-winning TV writer and producer and director who is best known for his runs on the hit comedy series Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World, uh, and most recently on Apple Plus' Ghostwriter. He's currently adapting the best-selling YA book series Gripped for Television, which uh, we're going to get more info on. He is Mark Bluntman. Thanks for coming on, Mark. That's a
1: great intro, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Gosh, you, 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 I, I, I could listen to that all day. It's all true. Uh, it's all true. It's all true. You know, it's so funny, too. Um, when, when I hear Boy Meets World still being mentioned, mm-hmm. considering it was a show from the 90s, we had no idea back then that, you know, some 25 plus years, it would still be such a relevant title. And yeah. so many generations continue. To stream it, to watch it with their parents who were fans. Uh, the first go round, it's 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 pretty overwhelming. I'm I'm I've got to say, as a young thirty-something-year-old writer just doing the gig, having a good time. Uh, the feeling I have now is much different. There's there's an incredible amount of pride right now, uh, you know, from that show that continues to affect lives in a positive way.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's great because you have. Multiple generations following those characters, and uh, I'm sure everywhere you go, people have seen one or the other, if not both. So it's definitely tapped into, you know, uh, the cultural zeitgeist, if you will. Uh, sure. And I, I no, it's fantastic. It's fantastic to be part of something like that, especially like you said, you don't know when you're getting into it how it will end up. You know. That that's the whole thing,
1: you know, and, and, and I believe it's the same in 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 many. You know walks of life whether you're an athlete whether you know you're working uh, in you know law whatever whatever like you're doing it you're in it mm-hmm. and then it's when you're able years later to look back and go did i make a difference did we leave you know a legacy did we try cases in court and fought for underdogs and made a difference like whatever you do it's it's years later when you know You look back and you're able to go wow that was pretty cool i i did some good stuff because as a 30 something year old you know goofy kid from canada i was just you know kind of doing the gig and working really hard but then you know it was it's really when social media and the internet and all that hit that you start getting these messages Mm. all these years later from people going oh my gosh you wrote that episode where the girl was being abused by her dad. And Sean and Corey found bruises all over her arm and made her come clean with her story and then got her help. And I was abused by a relative. And that episode gave me so much strength to go to relatives and ask for help. And you're sitting there going, you get chills, Kevin. You get goosebumps. You're like, wow, you know? And then mixed in are a bunch of episodes which are just, you know, go balls out laps and Mm -hmm. whatever, but then you mix it in with those other things. On Girl Meets World, the episode I wrote about Asperger, I got Mm. so much um, love from people who, you know, reached out and said, you know, I'm on the spectrum and it was really cool that you guys did that. Um, There was also, I've been under attack. I think that episode was three years ago. And I've been under by uh, attack by this, this every six months, this group on Twitter hmm. will go after me and the show saying it was not an accurate portrayal of autism, and I'm an ableist and all that, and I'm sitting here going, and, and you know, you don't engage with them." But it was like, as recently as four months ago, just hundreds, threads of hundreds of tweets at me, really coming hard. And you know, I don't want to go out and answer each one, but for the record. My oldest son is on the spectrum. He has Asperger. So everything I wrote was Mm. based on stuff from, you know, our experience together. And Disney put three experts in the field of autism on the show, and every single line had to be approved by them. Mm -hmm. So it was accurate. Certainly, you know, there's choices we made. You know, like in the beginning, the friends, the way we wrote it, uh, Maya, Riley, and uh, Lucas didn't want to accept that their friend was different and, and was on the spectrum. So they were denying it. But the, So we got attacked for that. What kind of friends are they? Like, why wouldn't they, like, they accept it? Why were they in denial? But the arc was for them to get to a place where they did the research, they read up on it, they learned about it, and they embraced their friend and said, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. But the fans didn't want to give us that chance. They just, you know, not the fans, but the, uh, you know, that particular group, the critics, right. the young uh, social media critics. But anyway.
0: Right. Well, but if they if they all accepted him right away, then there's no arc. There's no drama. There's no story. What's the point? No
1: conflict, no anything. Exactly. Right. So, um, you know, we thought it was, it was quite unfair, but... Mm. It's just funny how all these years later, uh, you know, I'm a target because I, I did something good. But that's that's the bad of social media overall. Um, there's far more, you know, good in it once people take a step back and realize that, you know, we don't all have to be critics 24-7.
0: Right. Absolutely. Uh, but it do- again, the good and the bad, it doesn't come to light until... Years later, Because I, I think all creators, all artists, all writers and filmmakers and storytellers want something to create something lasting. Like nobody wants to create yeah. that piece of junk that just goes out there and you watch it and 20 minutes later you've forgotten about. Everyone wants to right. create that thing that lasts for generations. So and, and no matter how hard you try, you can't predict what will happen happen because everyone tries to create something memorable but yet only the very few come out that actually it happens the chemistry involved and you just nailed it yeah
1: kevin you just nailed it the good things that have shelf life are going to be the ones that are going to be criticized because most of the critics are not fans and they don't watch it Mm. first run they find it years later and then go ah here's my chance
0: right otherwise it's gone yeah and no one yeah. Cares about it either way.
1: So the good thing is, if you're being critiqued five, six, 10, 15 years later, it did good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> you know? That's true. That's absolutely for true. For sure. Um, if they're talking about you, uh, then you're relevant, that's whether it. it's good or bad. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if you've got questions for Mark uh, about. TV writing about, uh, I know his, we're going to talk about his latest project, uh, Gripped, which is adapted from a, a book series, but also it's about sports, which I know you're a huge sports fan, so we'll, we'll get into that as well. Um, so feel free to drop them in the live stream chat. We'll get to those. But I do have to ask you first, before we get started into talking about uh, your projects and all that. How are you, Mark? After the heartbreaking three-two overtime loss in Game Six of the Stanley Cup Semis for your beloved Las Vegas Knights, uh, have you recovered yet?
1: So first of all, Kevin, <laughs> I'm taking issue with you because one of my tweets said I'll talk about anything except the Vegas Golden Knights, <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Just, uh, I am it's like,
0: cathartic, right? Yeah,
1: let's 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 purge my my disappointment, my feelings of. Uh, you know, disappointment and anger. So here's the deal. Mm -hmm. They're a really good team. The Mm -hmm. Vegas Golden Knights are easily one of the best teams in the league. And to dismantle Colorado Avalanche in six games, we have to be good. And we are good. And we have six incredible forwards. Our top six are just, you know, without peer across the league. Maybe Colorado has that kind of depth. We had no business losing to Montreal. We just didn't, and we didn't show up. And guys like Mark Stone, who are elite players who are at the top of you know the list of two-way players who can put the puck in the net and also play you know strong defensive forward, um, he didn't show up. He had zero points. Um, you know Shea Theodore didn't show up. Uh, Pachuretti, Riley Smith, Marcia. So we didn't show up against Montreal now if i can take a little bit of solace and 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 smile a little bit tonight it's game one and it is tampa bay versus montreal Mm -hmm. and i did grow up in montreal so montreal was the team of my childhood so now that i've recovered done some extensive uh soul searching searching and some uh zoom therapy calls Mm -hmm. with my therapist uh I'm okay um, I survived it's just sports but I also found that once sports resumed months ago even though it was different and there were no fans and stuff boy it was a great distraction during you know the pandemic of of uh, as we were chatting off air before you know the first six months of my pandemic was lasagna and banana bread right. Right, you know, so sports, sports absolutely provided uh, a a nice respite from what was going on in the world mm-hmm. and and all that. So, right. Um, thanks for asking. I'm over it, and now Montreal, les Canadiens, de de Montreal va gagner on set match. Canadians will win in seven games
0: maybe i don't know <laughs> i just spoke french um so well, let's talk about Gript. it's it's based on a, sure. a YA book series and I, I read the deadline article so i know just the very basic it's based on uh some uh young men trying to get into the nfl you know obviously football uh and you know dealing with uh, opioid addiction and the opioid crisis um first my manager my first manager a long time ago in a meeting, the first meeting we had told me that a couple types of things you don't want to write scripts on because they're incredibly hard to get made. And that's one based on politics because you don't want to get involved in that. And the other is American sports because they're incredibly hard to get made. Uh, so tell right. us a little bit about gripped. If you could, how did you get involved? Sure. What's it about? That kind of thing.
1: So, uh, it's a book series or five books in the series written by a wonderful YA author named Stacy Pajula. And, um, Basically, the she grew up in Boston and she grew up around a lot of, uh, you know, athletes in her family and around the neighborhood, young athletes that started making names for themselves in middle school and then uh, ultimately went to college, went to schools like Notre Dame, Northeastern, hmm. Boston College. And uh, so the book series deals with these young kids from these middle-class to upper-middle-class families, kids that you would think don't have issues, that there's a lot of, uh, you know, white privilege going on. And while there is in a lot of areas, there is also, they are not without flaws and they are not, um, you know, able to escape the grip beans of things like addiction. Mm. And they fall into, generally they don't, start off doing street drugs, although now opioids are all over the streets mm. but you know they they end up um, getting hooked through scripts you know uh, it's a different show it's not scripts and scribes the one you do it's scripts as in prescriptions mm. they get injured they have surgery doctor writes them you know a script and uh, they can't get off it and mm. especially if they get hurt again. So the book details the lives of these kids and friends and younger siblings who all end up getting, you know, pulled into this tangled web. Uh, you know, the older kids end up selling to the younger kids as young as oh, middle school in wow. this book. You know, there'll be like 12 year old, 11, 12 year old kids. Buying and taking a quarter quarter, maybe mm-hmm. of uh, a benzo, you know, an oxy. Codone, something like that and then that just leads to other things and then they uh, a lot of them you know throw these parties and and the older kids will let a younger kid try molly and all of a sudden you have incredible addiction going on in a world and community that you would not suspect Hmm. would be susceptible to it and ultimately it's a book series about redemption it's about these kids cleaning their lives up going to rehab al-anon you know there's a addiction is uh genetic and hereditary and so you know if you have parents who are let's say alcoholics just because you don't drink doesn't mean you're not susceptible to addiction and you may find it through pills right uh but your personality that you know personality gene that, that 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 you know compulsive i I, you know i have to find something to escape i can't cope with reality um in the book series there's a lot of you know sisters of some of the athletes that have anxiety anxiety man is a huge issue in our world and i think the last year proved that Hmm. i mean you read uh, on social media and you talk to people our peers You know how you doing and then move on and the person's like wait 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 you just asked me how i'm doing don't you really want to hear the answer i'm not doing so good right now how you doing comes with an answer either fine fine and i'm lying or i'm not doing well and so talk to me help me this last year man i see so many people on my feed who i don't know personally i just know through you know my my timeline and it, it's been horrific hmm. and so you know people get a prescription and maybe it's xanax and but then you know when the prescription runs out they're not ready to stop and so um the series of books deals with all of that there are like i said siblings of the athletes you know younger sisters who are using uh there are good families in the church who are You know, prime examples, so you think of, this is the perfect family. Sunday they show up, they pray to Jesus, they give healthy contributions. You know, it's funny, I used to say, Kevin, uh, to my ex-wife, Kristen, we would drive around neighborhoods. We lived in Woodland Hills, and then we would drive around, you know, other neighborhoods, and one day we'll buy this, you know, 15,000 square foot house, or this, this, that, and, and you know, my ex would always be like, oh, their lives must be amazing. Mm. And I always said to her always, cause I got it behind every front door. There's a story of pain, of tragedy. Nobody's immune to it. Mm-hmm. And so again, this series of books really uh, focuses on those who you would not think have issues. No, those who you would not think have problems. So I was, I was drawn to it when I read it. Um, And, you know, my work is always, you know, in working in YA, family, whatever, is there room for a message? Not hammering it over the head. I want to entertain, you know, I want it to, you know, have episodes where it's just fun and good stories. And not every episode is gonna, you know, certainly deal with addiction, but I do like messages and I do think, uh, you know, the opioid crisis is huge i mean i'm when that deadline article um Mm -hmm. was uh came out i guess three four weeks ago whatever i had i don't know a dozen parents reach out to me oh wow some lost some lost children to opioid addiction Mm -hmm. and uh some struggle with it Mm -hmm. and they all thanked me for doing this and, um, you know, one of the ideas I, I came up with, and I don't mind sharing, there's some people that are afraid to share this and that. I want to end every show as credits roll. I want to interview real people and oh, hear wow. their real stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So we'll go from, you know, actors portraying characters to during closing credits, real people, real stories, mm-hmm. you know, for 40 seconds, whatever it is. Uh, so again, my attraction was how can I, as a writer evolve my work into, you know, kind of a new space that I really haven't tackled before. And, 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 and this was it. I read the books and went, you know, then I met Stacy and, uh, her production, you know, company, you uh, said, you're the guy to do it. And, you know, I think that what drew them to me mostly was, uh, my passion for, uh, you know, telling stories of, uh, teens right you know and it's not all sweet 16s and you know driver's licenses and new cars and all that that there's a lot of pain out there too and so that's what grip's all about and um you know i i hope to do her vision justice and so far the process has been great
2: right
0: and I'm sure it helped that you're a huge sports fan. I know how big of a sports fan you are, and I'm sure that yeah. played a part in it because uh, obviously it deals with... Uh, absolutely, yeah.
1: absolutely. You know, I described the show, and, and I think they mentioned it in the article. I call it Friday Night Lights meets Euphoria.
2: Hmm.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, you know, it's these athletes yeah. looking to grab a high
2: mm-hmm.
1: because they're in pain, and the pressure on these athletes to perform... It's not just the NFL guys who have to perform on Sunday. It starts in high school Mm -hmm. because in high school, the good ones get noticed by the colleges and they get scholarships. And then that's the stepping stone to ultimately playing on Sundays. Mm -hmm. So that's why the use of, 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 of these benzos, et cetera, it it, it starts in high school. Mm -hmm. It really does. Yeah. So, yeah, I was obviously attracted to the sports aspect of it. And, uh, flawed characters man you know her Mm -hmm. characters that she created are wonderful but they're flawed Mm. you know they're rich in 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 in, you know um all their uh different traits but you know ultimately they're all flawed Mm -hmm. and that was attractive
0: right uh david leonard actually in the chat had a question about uh whether or not the las vegas knights Uh, not showing up was a problem with the Knights themselves inherently, or if it's something that, that you thought the Habs did to the Knights that caused that. Listen,
1: I'll always give credit to the other team. The Habs are a uh, incredible defensive team. They, you know, get on you and stay on you like a cheap suit. (laughs) You won't take it off. They were, they were really tough. And Carey Price was really good. Hmm. That's the credit to them. But, but no, the, the, no matter how good Montreal played, Mark Stone not having a point and not playing well for the entire series, is, is that part's on us. Pete DeBoer, the coach, not adjusting the style of play. I mean, I'll, I don't want to bore people with sports stuff, sure. but real quick, Montreal defense are big, strong, and somewhat slow. We didn't play a dump and chase style nearly enough. In other words, we could have come to the blue line, dumped the puck in, and then beat them because we're faster than them. But Mm. we didn't do that. We let them beat us at the blue line. Mm. So that's my answer to uh,
0: David, is it? Yep. Um, I do want to get more into Gripped, but Denise Martinez says, I'm a huge fan of Boy Meets World, probably my favorite show ever uh can you talk about how you wow. started your tv writing career and how you ended up writing producing for boy meets world
1: okay that's a great question that's probably about a 90 minute answer so i'll do my best to cut corners i moved to la in my early 20s as a stand-up comic so that's what i came out here to, to do i was a regular at the comedy store and then i would go on the road you know for two weeks every month make cash pay my rent etc cetera, etc cetera. and then Towards the end of uh, you know the 80s, as I was in my late 20s, I started looking at what was out there. I'd be at the comedy store and I'd see Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams and uh, you know Dice and Kinnison and Arsenio Hall and all these and Louis Anderson, just the you know, Felicia Michaels and Rita Rudner and Roseanne and, and 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 like I said, Pryor would pop in and like all these incredible comics, that, and I would just sit in the back like my mouth hanging open my eyes wide going these guys are amazing i'm not nearly as good as them and i didn't see the potential i was also acting so i'd go out on auditions and i got cast a little bit i, I was in hill street blues which was a uh well-known critically acclaimed cop show i was on a soap opera all my children i did uh, a movie meatball Street with patrick dempsey so i was getting booked as an actor but again i looked at all the greats out there and i went i'm, I'm not that and I wanted, a, a, you know, to have a good life uh, for my kids. I, wanted to, I didn't have them at the time, but I wanted a wife and kids and a good life for them. And I always had a strong imagination. And I wrote, uh, I knew I wanted to transition into writing. I wrote a movie in probably 1990, uh, just on spec. I wrote a spec script and it sold. And now I was on uh, the map as a writer and I got an agent and... Uh, I was working with a partner at the time and we went in. And uh, my first job was a show called Good Advice with Shelley Long and Treat Williams. That was just after Cheers. Shelley Long was the biggest thing in TV. So we had a show called Good Advice. Quick, funny story to that. Uh, We get called in. The showrunner was Danny Jacobson. This is all going to lead, by the way, to how I got to Boy. Um, Danny Jacobson was the showrunner. Uh, we get a meeting with him, we go in, he read a spec Seinfeld, we go in, he has two VHS tapes, he goes, here are my two pilots, they're both on the air, go in the other room, watch them both, whichever one you like, you're hired, I dig you guys, that was it, that was the interview. Now, it helped that uh, said showrunner liked to smoke a lot of weed and gamble on horses, so he was busy picking horses and he had to get to Santa Anita, so... Th- that, that kind of helped too. Anyway, we go in the other room and we watch the two shows and it was a no-brainer. Do the one good advice. Shelley Long coming up of cheers. Treat Williams, mm-hmm. Lightfield Lewis, the brother of uh, Juliette Lewis, George Weiner, Estelle Harris, who was you know played George's mom on Seinfeld. Just this great ensemble. The concept was Shelley Long was a marriage counselor and Treat Williams was a divorce attorney and they were sharing office space. So it was classic 90s sitcom you know, uh, premise, and I saw it running for years. And the other one that I said no to, it just didn't make any sense to me. I didn't think it had legs. It was a whiny Jewish guy married to a uh, cute uh, blonde shiksa girl. They lived in New York. Let me I guess said, what it no is. no way this is going <laughs> to last. Go ahead. So I said no to...
0: Mad About You.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> Long running. I turned down Mad About You. Yeah. Long running, rebooted yeah. years later. Uh, incredible talents, Helen Hunt and, and Paul Reiser and Richard Kind and uh, Leela Kenzel. And, and just an incredible cast. So anyway, good advice didn't really last. And then um, we had met for year one of Boy Meets World. And we turned it down. Hmm. Honestly, um, thought the show was a little too young, a little too cutesy. It was when the kids were in middle school, and Minkus was there, and it, it was still great. And Michael Jacobs is a genius, and it was his show, and he created, and he had a long, you know, long end game vision for it. But year one, what I saw um you know it was it was you know too cutesy and too young Mm. um and then they called us back when good advice was done and they called us back into a meeting and said we want to edge the show up now moving into year two um they so we skipped corey and sean skipped two grades they went from middle school to junior high and uh, you know, we brought in Harley, Frankie, and Joey, the thugs in the hall. and um, it just had a different feel. It was you know, we brought in the cool hip teacher, Mr. Turner to be uh, you know contratemp to Mr. Feeney. And uh, once they told us all those plans, I was like, yeah, and, and and so the rest was history. Within two, three years, Michael was off doing other shows and we were running you know the middle seasons of Boy Meets World and uh, it was fabulous so long answer to your question that's kind of the process that brought
2: me to the Boy
0: Meets World <laughs> uh, and going back to your story in terms of good advice and mad about you it ties into what we were talking about in that you can't predict what will, will resonate with people you just try to get the best people together try to tell the best stories possible and hope the audience finds it and and it resonates and then you know again like mad about you it's one of those shows that's still around and uh still in in, in the public conscious to some degree whereas uh, a show that had equally if not better pedigree in good advice just didn't whatever for whatever reason right. didn't find its audience right you know the truth is
1: i always point out as good as the script needs to be mm-hmm. ultimately your success is up to the casting gods. Hmm. It really is. It really is. And I use Friends as an example. The script was okay. It was okay. The cast was amazing. Mm -hmm. That cast was great. And look at the long careers they've had. And so those six young people together made that show. And so, you know, the, the script has to be good but it's better to just be okay and the cast be incredible. Yeah. And, you know, even Girl Meets World, you know, Riley, you know, Rowan Blanchard and Sabrina Carpenter, you know, grew into those roles very quick. Normally it takes young kids a good season and a half Mm. within six episodes. They were nailing the jokes and nailing the emotion and they were resonating with a young audience. So as good as, you know, Michael's pilot script was, and we all, you know, worked on it with him, and it was a terrific script that went through a bunch of changes because, you know, that's the Disney way. Ultimately, we went back to the original because that's the Disney way. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the cast, you know, really, really, is your friend, and and so I really believe that, you know, if you're going to pray, don't pray for the script, pray for the casting gods.
2: Right.
0: And it's not even just the actors have to be great, but don't they have to be great together, like the chemistry, sure. right? Absolutely. Because yeah. Shelley Long, I mean, you named Absolutely. off a bunch of great actors in in uh, you know the 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 pilot, and yet for whatever reason, Mad About You, the chemistry between Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt it just worked, you know. Yeah,
1: and, and and so without talking too much out of school, mm. you know always there's a myriad of reasons why something works or doesn't work. There obviously was a lack of connection. Um, Shelly who's one of the most talented people. I mean, she had a run and she did great movies and she was delightful in, in, in night shift and, and all these different things. She was really never comfortable Hmm. for whatever reason. She was comfortable in cheers. She wasn't comfortable with us, and I think the pressure of this
0: oh, carrying enormous
1: a deal and carrying a yeah. show was a lot for her. And and I remember I was a young baby writer. I know people don't like that expression. I I was never offended by it when I started. That's they want to call me that as long as the check clears, you know, <laughs> call me whatever. Like yeah. I I just never got hung up on that. Uh, so I was a baby writer, and it was all new to me. And I'm watching, and you know. It was the audience waiting and we're supposed to start filming at seven and shelly is you know in her trailer and oh. not ready to come out and it's seven fifteen, and and she was such a perfectionist and i want to be clear I, I i hope i'm not talking her to school because i i think she's just you know an, an incredibly talented person but also like the rest of us a complex person sure. and i think it was a lot a lot for her and um, you know the show just missed. Uh, you know Danny Jacobson was one of the most prolific showrunners at the time, um, and uh, I don't know if he was at his best. Who knows? You know, it's you never know. But there were incredible. I met some incredible people. Um, one of the writers that year I met, he was a, a writing producer on it, was Daniel Palladino.
2: Hmm.
1: And so, you know, I became friends with with, with Danny. In fact, I was uh, one day we're breaking for lunch, and he says to me, "Blutman, I need you to come to the commissary with me." I said, "What do you mean? I'm 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 just I don't I don't want I, the food's not I don't want to go to the commissary." Said, no, I have a blind date, and oh. I want you sitting a few tables away in case the date is you know, and then I'll go. Oh, I got my buddies there. I got. And the date was with Amy, Amy Sherman, Sherman Palladino, yep. now Amy Sherman Palladino. It was their first date. So I was I was part of the magic of that first date. I like to tell people <laughs> uh, I met Jace, Jace Richdale was was on that show. And, uh, you know, it, it was funny, too, who went on? He wrote for The Simpsons for years. He's just a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, Also, uh, it's where I met Ed Dechter and John Strauss, Mm. who hired me years later to write uh, The Closer uh, for CBS with Tom Selleck, Um, but I met amazing people and the show just just didn't work. And we almost, as I said, we said no to, to Matt about you, and then halfway through the year, they fired a couple of people from uh, Mad About You and they were gonna replace them and they wanted funny, they wanted a funny team. So they were gonna trade, it was like sports. This is why I love, they were gonna trade me and my old partner Howard to Mad About You for Eels and Lapidus. They were a a team back then, Pam Eels and Sally Lapidus. Pam Eels still works, does a lot of stuff at Disney. Uh, Sally, I'm not sure, I, I don't know what she's up to, but anyway, it was like on the table, we'll, we'll trade you Blutman and right. gang for Eels and Lapidus. And so like we're getting ready to pack our office and move to another office. But the trade never happened. <laughs> As
0: happens sometimes, right? Trades fall through. Yeah. Fall
1: <laughs> Not usually
0: through. for TV writers, but yeah.
1: Yeah. We will trade you Blutman and Buzzgang right. for Eels and Lapidus and six lunches to be named right. later. <laughs> right.
0: Right um yeah (laughs) uh sm says did you mean benzos or opiates i guess talking about uh gripped again when you were
1: right sorry yeah i know there's a difference both in the book she deals with both Mm, okay uh yeah
0: Uh, My apologies. I don't know. Denise Martinez had a follow-up and says, I'm also a stand-up comic transitioning into TV writing. Well, that's convenient. Uh, I've written a drama pilot but want to write a comedy. How different is writing jokes for stand-up from screenwriting jokes?
1: You know, it it, it depends on what your stand-up is. Mm. Um, Are you – there are comics that are – you know, their act is joke-driven – Then there are, you know, slice of life, observational uh, comics that don't depend on the punchline. Right. The similarity in writing is I'm a huge fan of jokes that come from the character that I could not put that joke in another character's Mm. mouth. So I think when you attack a TV pilot or a you know, a feature, the same thing. The laughs need to be organic to who that person is. That's, you know, getting you that laugh. Um, So, you know, it just depends in finding your voice. What is your voice? And are you uh, more comfortable, you know, writing hard jokes Mm -hmm. that land hard, that have a setup and boom, or, you know, attitude jokes, character jokes.
0: Right, right. Uh, and I did want to go back to Gripped quickly talking about sports. Did you find, even though uh, Gripped was a successful YA book series, so it's based on an IP, which I know everybody likes, all the, the networks and studios love that. Was it a tough sell? tougher sell for you when you were going around pitching the project that it was based on... Sports, even though it was young sports. people trying to break into the NFL and wasn't actually an NFL based series or something like that, you know, getting rights and clearances and becomes a huge issue. Did you find it was any additional challenge from previous projects pitching because it was based on? So that's sports? a great. Yeah. So
1: that's a great question. Here's the answer. Mm. I told the production company that I don't want to pitch it to the networks till it's done because of that reason.
0: Gotcha 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 gotcha
1: yeah you're you're dead on i mean i don't want to go in and pitch a bunch of people that the minute i say so it's set in the world of football and mm. then i go on and on and on and all they're doing is sitting there smiling <laughs> football never going to happen right. never going <laughs> to not doing football we're not, why is he talking we're not doing football <laughs> right. but i know on the page i could change minds mm. so you know the my initial deal is with the production company. I'm writing the pilot and then we're going to go out um, and shop it then. Mm-hmm. Because, as you said, the, the business has changed so much, Kevin. It really is. They love IPs, mm-hmm. they love it. Why? It's easy. The work's done, they don't have to use their imagination That's true. and envision it. They don't have to hear me go, it's set in a city.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All the action actually takes place on the rooftop of this New York City apartment. That's our set. And it's people talking. But people come and go because every week, we don't know who's going to be on that roof. Mm-hmm. And our stories evolve from there. And, and they're sitting here going,
2: what's he talking about? I don't understand.
1: Right. The roof. But if there was a book written that took place on a new york rooftop they could read the book yeah. they go that's a series I, I i don't listen i believe i've been doing this long enough i'm not jaded but i'm also you know i know when to be guarded and when to just tell my truth my mm-hmm. honest truth my honest truth is most of the executives are lazy and therefore that's why ip's became a big thing
0: mm. Yeah no yeah that's yeah spot on I think they're lazy yeah yeah um and then in terms of I know you're still working on it but in terms of ad- adapt- adaptations you know adapting a book why was that such a hard word adaptations or adapting a book what I, sort- could, I couldn't say Canadien earlier
2: <laughs> so, no worries
0: what sort of of challenges have you found. In terms of writing something that, you know, obviously comes from a different medium and having to translate it because ev- not everything translates inner thoughts and things have to be changed. And, and so mechanically, yeah. it's, it's different, uh, but also trying to keep the, the essence of what the, the story is, but then yes. making it so that it works in film and TV because it's no right. longer a book. So what are sort of those challenges that you're finding, you know, doing an adaptation and how did you pitch that in terms of how you would solve these issues when you were, you know, uh, pitching for it?
1: It's great. So one thing I'll just start with, you know, for me, uh, the white elephant, no pun intended, but the white elephant in the room was it was an incredibly white book. And I said to Stacey, I said, you know, some of, your characters are going to change Hmm. and then some new characters are going to become primary characters that you have not written. Oh, I see that. You know, I may create a character that, um, you know, is diverse, that is not in your book, but is important. So that was one thing. And she totally got that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh Boston has you know areas that are you know uh not melting pots at all they're very white areas and I think the book was set in in in, in an area like that so that was I don't even want to use the word challenge but that was you know one of the first big changes that we had a conversation in our first meeting I said it's going to change you know uh there there's going to be representation in the series. And it doesn't matter if I want it or don't want it, or if you want it or don't want it, it's not gonna get on the air hmm. without it. It's right. just not. Plus it's not accurate. And, you know. So that was something we talked about. Um, I think you always want to maintain, uh, as you said, the integrity of the author and and, and, and in this case, Stacy's vision. Uh, but we also know uh in tv although it's changed tv is now more like reading a book and what i mean by that is we can take a book we can read 20 pages and put the book down go get in the car go do some errands all that come back pick the book up well we couldn't do that before with tv but now because of streaming we can we Mm -hmm. can watch four minutes oops i'm late for a dentist appointment press pause take off so so that has changed, but in in any event, um, I think in a book you can luxuriate more. We have to capture the audience's attention and interest very quickly with the visual medium; otherwise, they're on to the next. You know, click. Right. You know. Also, we thought you might enjoy, and then they're off. Right. to The next we thought you might enjoy. Um, you know, it's almost going to get to the point where if you click on something, the message is going to say the algorithm will say sorry, you hated that show Mm. called such and such. How about this? Like it's really algorithms, like it's all, like we will get messages like, why did you click off that show called blah, blah, blah? Mm -hmm. Most people liked it, obviously you didn't try this. But anyway, so so I think in a book, you know, Stacy was able to luxuriate, whereas I'm gonna condense. Now I'm reading five books, I'm culling stuff from five books. And I have to, the challenge is what are the stories that I'm gonna put in the pilot. Mm. Like what, you know? And the other thing that she did very effectively, which I like, it has a bit of a this is us vibe Mm. in that it jumps around. Um, So we'll see the main, one of the main kids, Taylor Duncan, who's the star, who became the big addict and selling and ultimately got involved with the Boston mob that's how big it got in the book I mean he was selling for a you know some you know drug lords and all that but you know we'll also see him she'll flash back to him in high school so that's going to be a bit of a challenge too in 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 writing the pilot you know if I just go back two years well then it's probably going to be the same actor playing it you know whereas if i go back 10 years then we can get a kid and so there's a lot of jumping around and i have to figure out what's going to work best for the audience um because a lot of her book like i said does jump from the present to two years earlier to two years before that um so i want to honor that you know she really wants to wants the story to unfold that way and again, this is us is a great prototype for that mm-hmm. you know, jumping around time frames.
2: Yeah um,
1: So like you know to sum up, Kevin, I think you just you know I, I don't know how everybody else does it. I know how I do it mm-hmm. and how I do it is the last thing I want to do is surprise and/or insult the author of the book series. And so there are no surprises because I'm not off on my own and then handing in the script. I'm communicating with her along the way. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, so just saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking of uh, taking the big party scene, making that part of the the, the pilot. Because in the book series, it goes back and forth. There was a big party and there was somebody that may have had something slipped in a drink and there may have been a story of inappropriate behavior. It turned out there wasn't but somebody made up a lie and there's this whole and I may that may be one of the stories I want to go to in the pilot. So I, I talk, talk it out with Stacy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know just so I, I think the best thing is you know to, to protect her because without her there is no series grip and without the book series grip there's not me writing it. So
2: Right. Uh,
0: let's see here. SP says, are there any specific genres or themes that seem to be popular or trending at the moment? Like in your travels amongst the, uh, in the industry?
1: No, it, it, I, <laughs> I don't think so. You know, after 9-11, everybody said they're only buying feel-good shows. And right, feel-good I heard that. And that, was, that. But that wasn't true. Hmm. They, they, they I say heard that it. Too. They say all sorts <laughs> of things, yeah. Most of the people who say stuff are not the buyers anyway. They're the mid-level to lower-level mm. people. They just say stuff. They'll hear something in a meeting, or they'll listen, here's what trends. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna look right in the camera. Here's what trends. Writing that is undeniable. Right. That's it. Don't chase a trend. Because if you're chasing a trend, everybody else is too. Write the story you wanna tell and write it to the best of your ability, and just make it kick ass. That's it. Like, I don't believe in, you know, years ago, I'm so oh, cheers. We need a new cheers. Everybody, come up with your, you know, pilots set in a bar. And after friends, you know, find those New York set shows with those, you know, young millennials now. Let's find them now. Let's do the next friends. People say stuff all the time because people have to fill an hour and a half in, in the conference room in a Hmm. development meeting, they have to fill that time. That's part of the process is get all the development people in a room. And then the, you know, the VPs and preses of development and current development and all of them, and they sit there and what's out there. And let's do this and let's do that. Ultimately, it's those scripts (laughs) that come in that they don't even know are coming in. And an agent calls them and says, I have a show that's so not cheers. It's so not in a bar. It's so not a bunch of friends. You know, it's about an agoraphobic who never leaves the house. The entire show is set inside their house. Mm-hmm. What? Read it. And they read it and go, wow. Set your own trend. You know, make people chase your idea. Make people chase your voice.
0: And it seems like... it. It's similar to what you were talking about earlier in terms of of in executives instead of being lazy, and I you know that's why they like IP. So it almost seems like they're trying to game the system. It's like what's easy? Oh well, this is selling. You know, people are gonna buy lots of shows about. Bars coming yeah. up because Cheers was successful, or whatever it happens to be. You know, Ted Lasso was hugely successful. So let's do another feel good because people are in the mood for feel good instead of going through all of the material in front of them and saying which one is undeniable, which one's great. Well, that one, I'll read that one because that one's a feel good story. I'll just, let me read that one because then maybe that, you know, yeah. then I don't have to weed through all these other ones. I can just read the feel good ones yeah. because that's what people want. Right. So,
1: and, and, and again, Ted Lasso didn't work because it was a feel good show. That's not why it worked. It worked because Bill Lawrence is a genius Mm -hmm. writer-producer and Jason Sudeikis is, balls out, one of the best people out there and the supporting cast was amazing. Mm -hmm. And then everybody goes, feel good, feel good. It happened to have some feels, but it also had a lot of despair, a lot of disappointment, a lot of darkness. But talk about the casting gods, Jason Sudeikis is perfect as Ted Lasso. Perfect. And Bill Lawrence is amazing. And the staff is
3: amazing.
1: (laughs) And the direction was amazing. All the execs. We need, we need another feel good. It didn't work because it was a feel good. It worked because of the good writing, the great performances. And that's it.
0: Right. It was that undeniable you were talking about.
1: That's it, man. It just, I, I love the cliches and the phrases of the day and the, We need another this and they'll all work. No, man,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: they
1: won't. That's why it worked. It worked because Bill did a great job and Sudeikis was amazing. And the rest of the cast was so amazing. And that's it. Yeah. You know? Uh,
0: So SP says, oh, we have an SM and an SP. SP says, uh, what TV shows in the last 10 years blew you away and why? Besides Ted Lasso.
2: Well,
1: Ted Ted was certainly one of them. Um, I'll I'll start more recent because at my age, you know, I only have the recent stuff in my head for a short while. Then I have to go back to my long-term memory, which is here, stored. So I'll get there, but short term. So there was a show on Netflix that I adored um, called Call My Agent, French show. It was about an agency, a talent agency in Paris. Um subtitles, but I speak French, so I was able to uh, uh, watch it and understand it. I just loved it. The characters resonated. I felt it was one of the more realistic portrayals of our business. Um, you know, uh, so I would recommend uh, people watch Call My Agent. Uh, I thought "Shit's Creek, hmm. like a lot of people, uh, was special. Um, and you know listen the, the Catherine o'hara is a gift she's just a gift um she is never not a gift anytime the camera rolls and and she's on the other end you're privileged to what you get um you know and 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 eugene and and, and dan uh were incredible and and, and the whole cast and the writing and i know some of the writers michael short uh um i worked with him gosh maybe 25 years ago so Shit's creek certainly uh in the drama world i loved ozark uh, I, I i liked uh dead to me um and oh recent hacks i love hacks oh. love hacks um it was it was interesting because I was reading nothing but raves on it and just people going, this is the greatest thing. And then I'm watching the beginning and, and I, I, I loved it a lot. But again, it was, I thought Jean Smart and uh, um, the other girl, Hannah, I forget her last name, uh, I binder, something like that, I apologize, uh, were phenomenal, like just amazing. But I kept watching And then they did the episode where she went back to the comedy club. I think it was episode eight, maybe. She went back to the comedy club in Sacramento to work on her thing. And there was a misogynist comic there, MC, and she took him on from the stage. And then she also got called to task by the young, you know, her young apprentice writer, Hannah, uh, real name, not character name, uh, when she was telling the story about how the club owner you know, would grab the asses of the female comics back in the day and you just kind of went with it, sloughed it off, ignored it, whatever. And, and she's going, well, why? Why didn't you do or stand up or say anything? Mm-hmm. It was wrong then. It was as wrong then as it is now. How could you do nothing? And Jean Smart was like, you don't oh," She said, to make it easier for people like me, you don't think what I did my whole career was paving roads for you, and and it was both points of view about sexual harassment, and it was it will be Emmy nominated. I'm I'm usually right with this stuff. The first time I saw Euphoria, another great series, one episode I said Zendaya will win an Emmy, and she did. Uh, that particular episode, episode eight of Hacks, will get nominated. It's it's inspiring. Um, I love watching good work. By the same token, I won't. Uh, I, I you know I, I i don't go public with the ones that don't work for me i, I won't name shows but there were a few there were a few uh,
0: um, we do have a special guest sitting in our waiting room a friend of yours you want to uh let me let him in here uh okay there we go so if you want nice to- <laughs> Connecting. He's connecting. Yeah, he's connecting. Uh, he's got to. He's
1: got to hit his video thing, which he'll do. He's very smart. Very smart.
3: That hello, there hello. he is. Did we do it? How did we do? It's it great well, work. This is amazing. First of all, I would Good like to you. apologize to Kevin. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm crashing. Not at all. Not at all. Excited to have you. I'm being, uh, Mark is chaperoning me, I guess, into this party.
1: <laughs> this is fantastic, and thank you for doing this. I know you have a busy day. For, for, this, this is RJ City. Uh, so for those of you out there who, who, who may know him, there may also be some who, who don't. Or if you know him as RJ Skinner,
0: kind of... perhaps, from Smash A Lot. Yes.
3: Usually, no, and that's fine. (laughs) You can explain. Mark, explain. Since we've never met before, Mark, we've only spoken on Twitter, I'd like to. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's what's amazing about this. So this is the beauty of social media. We probably have a lot of friends in common, but we have never really met. But just the dude is super, super funny and engaging with his tweets, and like me, he has an appreciation of pop culture, old showbiz. Is that, am I, am I wrong in saying that RJ, the like old showbiz?
3: Culturally, I'm about 63 years old. I think that's the I best mean, way to put it.
1: I don't want to out you as being that guy, but you talked about Robert Goulet.
3: I know, I talk about him a lot. I can't think about a day when I'm not talking about Robert Goulet.
1: <laughs> so you're, you're, B Arthur, I, I got yes. You are yes. that young man that you have an older soul. So that that's what kind of first why, you know, I started responding to your tweeted, tweets. We started following each other. And you're also a professional wrestler besides being an actor, a personality, all that. And I don't even know if you know we share this. I've been a huge wrestling fan since I was eight years old. Um, and I'm friends with a lot of the, the guys, uh, Samoa Joe is a dear friend of mine. Uh, uh, Renee, I'm in Vegas now, her and Mox live out here. They just had their baby. I'm, uh, friendly with her. And so our worlds have cut, and I did three months in Stanford. You did three months in Stanford. Paul Heyman, who's another acquaintance wanted, I, I was free. Uh, not, I charged them, I got paid, but I meant right. it was free work wise. And uh, so Paul said, Come up. And I did three months there. Then the pandemic uh, hit. And I think uh, uh, I was the first person Vince probably furloughed because, you know, so <laughs> it's so
3: weird. I was just there because I did, I guess, their first comedy special. I wrote it and did it called WrestleMania After Dark. Really? And- Yes, okay. and I will. I will send it to you. Plug it. I would. I would love it. to hear. Yeah, WrestleMania After Dark. It's on YouTube. Uh, I'm also often on their morning show, The Bump. I have an Andy Rooney-ish segment called Wednesday Morning Wake Up, where I interview uh, wrestlers and celebrities about nothing important, really. Are you
0: equally as codgery as, uh, as uh, I think so. Andy Rooney? You know
3: what? I'm still in the phase where some days I'll have glimmers of hope oh, I and see. then they'll turn back. Well, Andy that's... was full. There was no more hope no. by the it, time he got it,
0: it on. Had, it was long gone. Yes. At that point. Yeah. Yes.
3: I, so he, that's...
1: he became the parody of the parody of the parody of himself at the end.
3: Which is the best. He started to hear his own voice and he started really, Sh- Sh- go ahead. No,
1: no, 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 no. But, but here's what I wanted because we were talking Goulet a bit. So as a wrestler, Yes, and I'm I'm am I'm a huge fan of stuff like this. You you sometimes use a, a knee as a
3: finish, but yes. it's not just any knee. Why don't you uh, well you explain the finish? So uh, <laughs> you know, uh, wrestling really connects with people when there's a tad bit of embellishment on things. So things that are things are much better in wrestling when they're dressed up. Everything is garnished. Uh, shall I say? As it should so be in I life, have,
0: right? In general. I,
3: well, not always. Not always. <laughs>
0: maybe not a know? funeral, but you, or you can, maybe you, you no. can't right. go to the post. You you can't go to the
3: post office in a sequined robe, right?
0: You know. I, don't, I don't see don't why management?
3: not. When I go to the dentist office, just do right. what you need that to do. True. Every time there's some new contraption, and I'm letting this person stick things in my mouth, I'm not questioning. Just you know,
0: whatever. That being anyway. said, if it was like Mardi Gras, wouldn't it be? At least slightly more interesting and enjoyable, possibly. You know, when I was a kid, the fluoride flavors were like a gourmet
3: menu. <laughs> they had cherry, they had bubblegum, they had pina colada, and I was seven. And then you turn, you know, 18, and it's like the fluoride tastes like fluoride. Right. That's going to be it. <laughs> right. That's all you're getting. Um, no, so uh, my finishing move I pulled down my knee pad, revealing another <laughs> knee pad with B. Arthur's face on it. Mm. And it is a knee strike to the face. Known as Knee Arthur. <laughs> so, if that doesn't
1: push a person into the zeitgeist, then nothing will. That's that. Have we me truly away. lost it,
0: all right? our humanity at that point? If you right. Mean, yeah.
3: Well, I wish, now Perhaps. Now, Mark, I do... RJ, did you... Go ahead. Go ahead. I I have two questions. I have two burning questions for you. Kevin, if I may take over your job for a moment.
0: There's a lot of people in in the chat who are very big fans. I've been corrected. It is splash a lot, not smash a lot. Uh, And There was a lot of it, whatever it was. That's the important thing. And they want some (laughs) exclusives, a wrestling exclusive. Nails in New York says. uh, SM says uh, WrestleMania After Dark was great and they hope to see you wrestle in person someday. So, please, the floor is yours, RJ. Um, so my first, my first
3: question, as a dog goes off, is... Um... I, got, I got construction here in my place. Oh, fantastic. So... Um, okay. Was there supposed to be a spinoff of Boy Meets World where Eric goes to New York?
1: How do you know that? We actually wrote three scripts we wrote three scripts. Wow. And all I, re- all I remember, so it was, oh my gosh. But like, <laughs> who, nobody knows that, like nobody knows that.
3: People in the know, there's people in WWE that are very big fans of Boy Meets World. Ryan Popola came, uh, he does the bump, and he says, can you please ask this? And it did seem, I will say, that there was potential there towards the end of the series. I just
1: remember that in the pilot we had him on a New York subway dressed as a clown going for a job interview with Hewlett Packard like with a big like big like office environment and he wanted to make an impression. So (laughs) that's all I remember from one of the episodes we wrote three. And ABC ended up passing, but of course, we did bring Eric back to Girl Meets World, had him run for the Senate, win an election, as well Mr. Squirrel should. So, so wow. So tell Ryan, good on him for knowing that.
3: Uh, Okay, next question, and this is just a personally me, and goes into the obscure zeitgeist of it all. You worked on So Little Time, the the Olsen twins where they lived at the beach. But more yes. importantly than the Olsen twins, one of my favorite comedians was on that show, Taylor Negron.
0: I knew Taylor. So, I knew Taylor.
3: So everyone tell me something about him. I'm fascinated by him.
1: Kevin, why don't you go first and and, and uh I'll recompose myself for a minute because I got a sure. chill as soon as you said Taylor. Taylor was so near and dear to me. And uh, made my life uh, so much easier on that show, and I miss him so much. But go ahead, Kevin.
0: No, my story with Taylor, I I was fortunate enough to know him a little bit. I I met him through a friend. Basically, I grew up in Redondo Beach, and I used to go to video archives in Manhattan Beach when it was still a video store. Quentin Tarantino wasn't working there anymore, but I met uh, a friend there, and he and I became friends. Because that video store was really this kind of place where fil- film files would go, right? They would give you actual recommendations for movies instead of just, you know, those are the picks of the week or whatever. Uh, and so I met my friend Stevo there, uh, who has since passed away. But Stevo was good friends with Quentin and Roger Avery. And Stevo was actually in some of these films. Like he was a sheriff, one of the sheriffs in the bathroom scene in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, he played one of the, uh, uh, not... Interns, but one of the uh, uh, in Mr. Stitch, he played one of the uh, orderlies. That's what the term is, uh, and and Taylor was in that. And so Steve O would often invite me to places, and I, you know, to meet Quentin or to meet Roger or whatever. And one of the times, he became good friends with with uh, 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 Taylor, and so we hung out with Taylor a few times. Uh, and he lived in uh, the Santa Monica uh, Mountains. He had a home out there, and uh, I remember he had all these eclectic decorations, and I still have. I saw a bee, this little wooden bee that he got from, I guess, I don't know, Nicaragua, some South American country or Central American country, a little wooden bee. And I said, oh, that's a really neat bee you have. He's like, oh, yeah, I got it from Nicaragua. Do you want it? And I was like, uh, sure. And he just gave it to me. And I still have it to this day. And it was just one of those things. He was just very generous, very kind and very, very funny, obviously, you know, obviously known for his his humor, uh, but great actor as well. So, I mean, that's that's my one Big Taylor story. The rest is just rather, in, you know, passing. Just you know, conversations and seeing, you know, him and and talking with him and being around him and stuff. But yeah, that was it. He he
1: he was absolutely special. You know, it, when you're doing an Olsen twin show, you've entered through the gates of madness. You just have. I mean, I have Olsen twin stories for days. You know, one little simple one that shows the insanity of the world is, you know, we would have our Thursday run throughs of the week's episode, that week's episode. And, and so every day at three o'clock, you know, we would go down to the stage and I'd, you know, be centered on the chair with the network on one side studio on the other side. And they would run the show for us and we'd, you know, the studio network would give anyway, give them their notes. So it's three o'clock, no girls, it's three mm-hmm. o'clock, no girls. 315, no girls. The network's like, we gotta get back on the side of the hill. Traffic's gonna be a nightmare, what is going on? And I see my AD on the phone shaking his head, palm to forehead, I'm like, Steve, come here. And he comes over and I go, what's up with the girls? And he won't say it out loud, he whispers it in my ear. So as soon as he goes for my ear, I know it's bad. And the network turns to me and goes, where are the girls? And I said, "Well, as you know, they turned 16 yesterday. No, no we didn't know that. <laughs> oh, a lot of people know <laughs> the Olsen's turned 16 yesterday, and as such, today they're they're Learjet shopping. So, so as all 16-year-old madness old. that I was surrounded by on. A- like most 60, I got my license and my Learjet, my G4. I um, I also was accused of uh, being one of the causes of Mary Kate's eating disorder.
2: Hmm.
1: So this was my world, uh, and so Taylor, who had such a wonderful point of view on on life, and especially the insanity of our business, because you know Taylor, you know, grew up in the business and been around it forever, and and he knows all you know the the insanity and the you know the just abuse of power and 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 the gatekeepers and their nuttiness and so he would come to my office daily and just sit with me and we would talk and uh as far as his stand-up goes nobody had taylor's voice you know so many comics are you know two degrees separated from that one and he's doing a version of Bo burnham and he's doing some daniel tosh and mm. taylor was taylor yeah nobody came close to doing taylor because you don't want a carpet you want an area that's i i butchered it but that's my little tribute to taylor that was one of his famous things the rug salesman on melrose um, what about you,
3: RJ? Well, Your I, me and my brother loved that show as a kid because of him, because he always, it was like carved on his face that he was always too smart for the room. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And especially to put him in, in that kind of show, it feels like the more you listened to him, the more you would hear you know and and then watching his stand up i mean there's really no jokes in a traditional sense
1: no you we
3: know? were talking
1: about that before about the, the you know some of the best stand up are they're not joke driven they're just your personality mm-hmm. and your point of view and that was all taylor
3: but then even i remember his one clip on the arist- the aristocrats oh yeah which was also a but the other the Thing about him, though, was that he was clearly capable of doing like straight up jokes and then just went beyond it, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. To to anybody watching us right now, uh, please, if you are not familiar with Taylor Negron, Google him. Um, Also uh, a relative of Chuck Negron from Three Dog Night.
0: Yep. Yep. That's true. So. Um, uh,
1: but Google has some of his stand up, and you know, uh, he fast times at Ridgemount High, uh,
0: last boy scout. He delivered,
1: yeah, he delivered the pizza, right? Last boy scout. Oh my He's gosh, great Jay in that, film, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, that performance Amazing. in that film, uh, was reminded me a lot of uh, Alan Rickman in, in Die Hard, you know, it's that iconic villain performance kind of thing, but uh,
1: just. Way too soon, man. Yeah. Just, you know, we can, we can all make lists mm-hmm. of these incredible people that entertained us or touched us personally that, that are gone way too soon. And Taylor yeah. is absolutely at the top of that list. He was just a special, special dude. And again, I'll, you know, the year we spent together, if he wasn't there, I maybe would have confessed to being the cause of Mary Kate's eating disorder. <laughs> But he convinced me it was not me.
0: Yeah. Uh, Nails in New York says, ask RJ about interviewing Mick Foley on his WWE show and uh, talking about Boy Meets World.
3: Oh, yeah, okay. I'll be right so, back. But keep going. You want me? Okay, I'll fill. Go, good luck. Um, Mick, Mick and I have, have known each other for a little bit. We did a handful of wrestling shows together, and then he asked me to open for him for his stand-up show. Uh, and we had a really nice... Time I did it a couple times, and we enjoy each other's company. So he was a no-brainer and uh, to do an interview with. And then I did my research. I also did, I had a little YouTube (laughs) show myself called The Hollywood Squared Circle, where I would look at wrestling episodes of non-wrestling shows, and I did all three Boy Meets World episodes. Uh, So I'm well-versed in it. And Mick Foley's turn on Boy Meets World is incredibly bizarre. (laughs) He just, the door falls down and he shows up and he doesn't know where he is. And then in my research on the IMDB page, it said it was the lowest rated Boy Meets World episode ever. And I had to break his heart. I had to do it to him. And I told him and uh, he was quite taken aback by it.
1: That's, that's amazing. Now,
3: now, in looking at, as a
1: thespian, And digging deep into the performances, would you say that Vader blew Mick away as far as incredible depth of character?
3: Well, well, Mick was mankind. He was the character of mankind and he stayed that way. It's a wonderful character, but um, Vader showed range unlike I have ever seen from Vader, ever. (laughs) It's it's so weird. And he just seemed (laughs) like he really, sometimes it's so, It's sad, there's like a divide between wrestling and acting, where wrestlers don't realize what they're doing is acting. And the second that clicks into people, it's like, it's a whole new world. They're like, I can do this, what I normally do, but I can do it here. And it was just, you know, there's a sweetness in the, in the 16 Candles episode, when, when they're running back and forth from Topanga's party to the show. There's there's that sweet father son, you know, bonding thing, and it's like, oh yeah, Vader gets it, and you wouldn't think a guy who's known for brutalizing people pretty much consistently uh, has a deeper emotional level.
1: Now now, R.J., you you know obviously where I borrowed that little storyline from. Of- Back and forth, back and forth. Yeah,
3: don't they explicitly say it though in the episode that yes. it's a Flintstones, yes. right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's right. They, they, Sean takes the pointer out, puts the episode. Now Fred had the bowling <laughs> tournament, the Buffalo Round uh, Lodge bowling tournament, but also had to be a Pebbles birthday party. Could he do? Yeah, I I owned it. I wasn't going to do it without owning it. But the great thing was we. Uh, the kids made a lot of money that week because I, I think by the end of day one, them and the AD got together and put a swear jar on set because every time Leon uh, Vader um, messed up a line, he'd be like, ah, fuck, 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 fuck. And it was old. And these kids back then, you know, they were maybe 13, 14 and uh, no fourteen, fifteen, whatever um and and it was like all they were just giggling and you know but parents are there and so we put the swear jar in uh vader calmed down a little bit but it was just funny he had scenes with bill daniels in some episodes and bill daniels is one of the greatest actors of all time i mean he is a cherished actor He's done incredible things from the graduate and to broadway and And so Bill would be on set, prepping like an actor, be in a chair, (laughs) reading his sides. About three feet away is Vader, with elastic bands, prepping for his scene, and the juxtaposition of Bill Daniels and Leon White as
3: Vader getting ready to go on stage. With elastic bands. Now, do you know the wrestling movie that William Daniels was in?
1: Uh, would it have been the one and
3: only with Henry it, Winkler? It would be one of the great underrated wrestling movies that nobody. It's a Carl Reiner, and it's uh, it's like a romantic comedy, which I, is probably why it skirted around, you know, <laughs> the the wrestling audience.
1: You know, we're almost at the point where we could start doing a top five wrestling movies list. I mean, we're almost there. I mean, that you know, certainly Mickey Rourke, uh, the wrestler, is up there. All the marbles with Peter Falk. Mm-hmm.
3: What do you think? I'd be interested. I would, I, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, perhaps there's one called uh, Body Slam, and I only like it because it has Charles Nelson Reilly in it. Oh, I won't say reason. it's good, but it has Charles now. So, you know, you take, I think we can certainly make a five worst wrestling movies. <laughs> like
2: that sure. same list.
3: Same yeah. list. one. Same list, same list. Yes. One list. Now uh, back to Robert Goulet.
2: Absolutely. Because I've have...
3: heard from numerous sources that he was not well liked. I heard that Frank Sinatra hated him and I heard that Elvis hated him. And there's a famous story of Elvis seeing him on television and taking out his revolver and shooting the television.
1: Wow. I want that desperately to be true. Yeah. I don't want, now it was at Elvis's place, like in the jungle room, maybe,
3: yeah. he was watching. I think he was having breakfast. I'm sure he had televisions. At, look, he had enough televisions to shoot a couple, you know? Right. <laughs>
1: That's brilliant and well-deserved. Goulet never seemed to run in those circles. He always seemed like he was his own man. Um, I was blessed enough when people asked me my career highlights, the fact that I was on his and his wife, I want to say Victoria or something. Uh, but anyway, I was on their Christmas card list. So for about 10 years, I got Christmas cards from the Goulet's. Hmm. And then the other (laughs) bizarre. So, for those who don't know, he was in one of the Vader episodes, the first one where we turned uh, high school wrestling into professional wrestling. And Corey had to fight uh, Joey the Rat. And, uh, you know, we first introduced Vader there. And we had Yasmin Gleif as the ring girl, because why not? But we had Robert Goulet sing the national anthem.
3: Which he did at WrestleMania wow. 6 in Toronto. So you captured the, the eccentricity of, of professional wrestling. So it's
1: post show. And, and re- real quick, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll forget the story, but it's post show. And I had a music sheet uh, with, uh, because in the tag he sang a song in detention and I wanted it signed. So I knocked on his trailer. And he opens the door, and he's in his tuxedo, <laughs> boxer shorts, and then high socks with a gardener. Can't ruin everything, the pants. but nope, everything but the pants. And he come in, come in, and I was like, "No, it's okay." You know, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, thirty at the time. I'm still young and new to the business, and I'm like, you know, because back then, who knows what would have happened had I gone into Goulet's dressing room, but I had him sign it, but the image is stuck with me forever. When people say Robert Goulet, there he is in his boxer shorts, which were, you know, black satin and uh, Formal, formal boxer else. shorts. Formal, formal Would you boxer expect shorts. anything like less? A, when I met, I, 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 was, uh, I hung out and was blessed to meet uh, Johnny Cash. Hmm. In Lake Tahoe, I was with a friend who was performing at one of the hotels, and they gave us a house, the Harris House, but there were two with a shared pool. And all of a sudden, Johnny Cash comes out to swim with us, black robe, black swim trunks. Did not disappoint at all.
3: Easy to shop for.
0: Uh, we, Kevin, we, you were gonna say something Yeah, I no, we have some questions and things from the chat for both of you, actually, but before we get to that, just this is the B that Taylor gave me, just, I Aww. wanted to show that to you I still have it, so, I don't know where you can see that That is there adorable you go. Looks um, like Jerry Seinfeld's character from the movie uh, Let's see here, um, SM says, Mark, who is your all-time favorite wrestler? Um, they're gonna be old school So one of them
1: was uh, Maurice Mad Dog Vachon. Oh. Uh, You know, I grew up in Montreal, so I grew up with uh, what was called Grand Prix Wrestling. I just thought, you know, he was legitimately scary to me as a kid. And then would have been two heels, the original Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher. I saw them live in Montreal. I was maybe 14, and they literally, Abdullah the Butcher with a crimson mask, chased me through uh the paul sauve arena and somehow i had trouble out running him which was very scary so i'm glad i left athletics at that time and of the guys working today um you know uh i i i love some of the guys in uh in a, a nxt i love adam cole i think he's an incredible worker Um, uh, in WWE, I I really like Charlotte flair. Um, I'm really impressed with Bianca Belair. She's still a little green, but I think she's going to be a megastar for a long, long time to come. I'm an RJ city, uh, fan. I just watched this morning, a uh, match against, uh, Daniel Garcia.
3: Uh, Greek wars or Greek, uh, Greek town. Greek town wrestling. Nice specific Toronto town neighborhood. Wrestling. Yes. Yes. I was in Toronto last year or two years,
1: two winters ago, shooting Ghostwriter there. So I was there for about eight weeks. Great city. Rodney's Oyster House.
3: Yes, of course. On King Street,
1: I love it. Love it. And then Harbour Street sixty or something like that mm. for steak. Those are the mm. places I love. But anyway, so those would be my answers, Um, you know, oh, and uh, Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper was one of my, I mean, if you are a writer and or a performer and you're open to the world of professional wrestling, you have to appreciate Piper. I mean, it's just.
3: So I did a pilot with him and we did a movie together. Really? And the movie is called A Masked Saint. And it's, it has a quasi-Christian theme, but obviously we only handled the wrestling part. Um, Diane Carroll is in it, and she also pinched okay. my ass, which was nice. That's my version of like uh, Taylor's B. Right, I was going to say Carroll yeah. pinched my <laughs> ass. Right. So, Roddy was not one for learning lines, and certainly not uh, uh, saying what was written. Hmm. And we were, were supposed to have an argument. He plays the promoter, and I didn't want to lose. And he looked at the script and he came up to me and he said, you know, we don't talk like this, right? I said, yes. He said, okay. He said, well, I'm going to say what I want to say. And then you can say what you want to say. And I guess that was permission for me. Um, So we have this argument. He comes on, he, you know, kicks open the door and he's got Roddy Piper crazy eyes, wildly off script, not even remotely close, back and forth, back and forth. and, And then finally he goes, now go out there and do your fucking job. And the director goes, Cut! And the director walks over, and again, it's not good when they have to go in your ear. And he said, uh, "I'm I'm sorry, Roddy. This uh, this is a Christian film. There's no flaring."
2: <laughs> and
3: and he looked at me and said, "Oh, who knew? Uh, I know because the pastor was there, and the name of the film was <laughs> The Mass Saints.
0: It was, it was fairly obvious." After he pulled, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, I'm just blanking ahead in my head a second ago. Uh, uh... Gary Busey. You pulled yes. a Busey on that set. That's funny. Um, That's wild. Rob wow. Clark says, I'm a bit late, but it looks like my timing is good. Here for Richard Jacob, although he's con- uh, nails in New York, says, it's Raul Julia, Rob. so, uh, But there, you see, there people are coming, and, and uh, I'm very excited to stumble upon this, <laughs> our special guest for today. Um, thoughts on Ready to Rumble? <laughs> wow. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, no, I got nothing to
1: say other than um, did you, for his actual
3: stint, did you train David Arquette? Yeah, it was it was weird. So David followed me on Twitter. Uh, we were hooked up by a mutual friend, uh, a writer in Toronto named Ben Joseph. And uh, we started tweeting back and forth. And then I I took a shot at him. Like, I called him out just to have fun. And he seems to always forget that wrestling is not real so he's (laughs) very naive in the best way where he can he's very open and he will get taken well you know it's Um, authentic right yes very much so and then we he was he was trained in la while i was doing other stuff and um we only had really a couple days together to put together the match and at that point if you watch the documentary uh, he broke his ribs in Mexico literally days before we were supposed to wrestle. Hmm. So I had to put together a match that really involved no running or directly falling on his back because he just, you know, he couldn't. Even though he really, really wanted to, I was like, let's, there's a clever way around this. Um, let's do it that way. But the night before the match, we sat and watched Ready to Rumble together. And if you watch the movie, he's, he's not the main guy and he's not the main guy who wrestles. Oliver Platt is the wrestler and even uh, Scott Kahn ends up doing more wrestling than David. So I looked at him at the end of it and I said, why did WCW ask you to do it of all the people in the movie? And he said, I think I was the only person who said yes, <laughs> just... which, which is really David in a nutshell.
1: What do you think is a bigger accomplishment for David? winning the wcw championship or marrying courtney cox
3: well i i have a bit of a beef with courtney cox Mm. um she made me she we were at the house david was getting worked on because he had we did a, a, a house of hardcore show in philadelphia bully ray put david through a table uh hurt david's back he said when we get to la uh i gotta see this chiropractor guy he lives next door to courtney so you, you will go you know hang out and he'll whatever okay so we go there and it's just david's getting work done i'm like hi i'm sorry i'm here much like this situation i open with an apology and um <laughs> she said would you like a cappuccino i make a great one and i said i don't normally have cappuccinos but if you, you know you're selling it i make a great one let's do it and halfway through, something went awry. And she said, I, I, I really messed this up. And it was the worst cappuccino I ever had. And uh, the whole time David was being being worked on. So if not for Bully Ray, I would have never met Courtney Cox. That's that's my life in a nutshell. I think he, um, with every failure, David's reputation grows. That's, that's the that's best way I can put it.
1: Especially through his near death experience with Nick Gage. Yes.
0: Uh, let's see that here. Uh, someone said, um, d- uh, Nails in New York, did the wrestling episodes come about because Mark is a wrestling fan? 100%. There yeah.
1: Absolutely. In fact, um, I also put uh, Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Paul Levesque on an episode of a show called Grown Ups I mm. did uh, with Julia White and David Rubenstein and um that was interesting uh, about 22 takes trying to get uh, Paul to say Pinot Grigio <laughs> quite a challenge but yeah I've always been a huge fan and uh, you know the bringing larger than life characters onto you know the shows when when it fits is just a kind of there was a guy uh, an executive at Disney who helped hook me up with a lot of the guys he, he unfortunately passed away about a it... Year and a half ago, but his name was Mitch Ackerman, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, just shout out and give love and flowers to Mitch Ackerman. He was a big Disney exec and was also a huge uh, fan and friend. I was very tight with Piper, and that's why the street fight between Piper and Goldust was filmed at Disney.
2: Oh, it was Mitch.
3: And talk yeah. about, you know, I always say wrestling for something that's fake, it could be a lot more fake. And that street fight <laughs> is a perfect example of it.
1: My gosh, broken bone in that one too, mm-hmm. if I remember.
0: Nails in New York. Yeah, sheik has the best Twitter account behind RJ. So, I'm sorry, Mark, you were going to say something. I just after I just uh, no, no, a compliment no, 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 to no, no, well,
1: let, Let's talk. <laughs> we'll talk sheik. In fact, the the friend. Of the chic, these hmm. two, I bet RJ knows these two. You're Toronto talking about twin the Megan
3: twins. That's who you're talking
2: yes. about. Yes. yes, sir.
3: Jan and uh,
1: Paige. So, Paige, uh, who actually put on a show once a year. They put on a wrestling show for charity. Um, I was at one about two years ago when I was in Toronto filming uh, when he was doing his Celine Dion character. Uh, they're good guys, man. They're good guys. They reach out to me every once in a while.
3: Um, but, yeah, they, I think they run the Sheik's uh, Twitter, don't they? I believe they also run Virgil's, too. They've become sort of because... the Bruce
0: Valanche of old wrestling <laughs> Twitter accounts. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's
1: fantastic.
0: Center Square, That's right? Yes. great. Yes. Um, so, you know, RJ, would you be uh, – Kevin? Yeah. Do you have
1: questions you need to get? or can I, they're, uh, can I they're
0: just sort of I, I'm, <laughs> the only other question I think other than some compliments uh, are uh, thoughts on you cannot kill David Arquette so
1: no no do the compliments we want the compliments
0: uh, well, no, I'm f- kidding <laughs> uh, well stuff like uh, David's biggest achievement meaning Arquette I'm assuming is his friendship with uh, RJ uh, which is what I'm sure David would say. It was, it was a really
3: interesting to team with him because he legitimately did not know how to wrestle and he legitimately had the spirit of a 12 year old and me having the spirit of a 60 year old, we decided that we would be like Charles Grodin and Martin Short in Clifford. We would be the wrestling version of that. And, and everything he was excited about, I was not. And I really enjoyed doing, but that's also <laughs> him in a nutshell.
0: Um, but, but you were gonna sounds, say something, that Sounds hard. like my
1: marriage. Well, I was just going to say that RJ is very humble Hmm. because he talks about these documentaries and his comedic work and all this stuff, but he's actually one of the top dramatic actors. uh, I won't say just Canada, probably in North America, maybe the world. And while so many great dramatic actors, you know, they'll find time and do a Shakespeare in the park type thing. Um, You know, there's nothing like Hamlet to show somebody's incredible talent. RJ has carved a niche uh, in the world of dramatic readings of television theme songs. Hmm. And I think for me just to, continue to laud him, the audience, people watching and listening are probably going, yeah, right. How good can this cat be? But he's really, really good. And, and Kevin, we could maybe throw, like, I'll start, obviously, you know, we've talked some Boy Meets World, and I mm-hmm. think that, you know, people would be disappointed if I didn't say, hey, RJ, uh, show us how you can do a dramatic reading a Boy Meets World theme song and touch us.
3: I'd love to, and you know, it's gonna be a little rough. I've been workshopping it. I don't think it's quite there yet, but I think we're, we're getting it. And of course, this is, you went through a lot of theme songs for for some reason, and I'm not gonna do the instrumental ones, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but there's the one, seasons, seasons five to seven had some poignant lyrics, and uh, <clears throat> here we go. Just give me a moment to When this boy meets world, boy meets world, wandering down this road that we call life is what we're doing. It's good to know I have friends that will always stand by me when this boy meets world.
1: He personalized it, Kevin. I don't know if you saw that. He personalized it. This, wow. <laughs> Thank you.
3: Thank you. And, and in many ways, we're all boys in the world. And I think that's why I, I you know, related
0: to it so strongly. Uh, Nails of New York says I'm hoping you'll give us a dramatic uh, reading of Blossom one day. Do you have yeah. one for Blossom? Oh. We'll get,
3: I mean, that's a long one. You know? Yeah. I don't know if I want to, okay. Let me see if I can get the lyrics.
2: <laughs>
3: Blossom <laughs> theme. I'm so
1: happy right <laughs> now.
3: This is just great. <laughs> okay, here we go. And just, you know, picture people dancing with a backdrop. Of a high school <laughs> right. graduation photo Joey backdrop.
0: Lawrence back there. Yes.
3: Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil, I'll give you a piece of my mind. In my opinionation, the sun is surely gonna shine. Stop all your fussing and slap on a smile. Come out and walk in the sun for a while. Don't fight the feeling and you know you wanna have a good time. And in my opinionation, the
0: sun is surely gonna shine. Mm-hmm. That, that did feel, Incredible. that felt like if Andy Rooney was younger and had a soul <laughs> that, yes. that wasn't dark and angry, yes, that kind of emotion, that kind of, of, of feeling and, and life, yes. re- breath, you breathed into it. That's, that was great. Now, to bring it all full yeah. circle, yeah. David
3: hmm. once had a small role on Blossom, as I believe a, a fake ID dealer named named David Slackmere.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that. That's Yeah, funny.
3: I did. We did a show together where we literally ran down his IMDB page at a standup club and I just roasted it. So a name like that really <laughs> sticks with me. <laughs> that
1: was great, man. RJ, thanks so much for doing that.
2: Thank and thanks so for
1: joining uh, me on this segment. And you yeah. know, we just, we cut, we, I hope this was cool, Kevin, because I, I knew I thought it would be awesome.
0: Well, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's amazing how uh, the audience has responded. Uh, an audience of primarily uh, aspiring and emerging writers and filmmakers—just uh, just, they were fans already, so they knew as soon as you popped in, and they knew. So it's uh, it was great to see.
3: Well, I great apologize for any inspiration that comes out of this. This video. No, not
0: at all. No, it's thank been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. It's been. Thank been you fun. for
3: inviting me, and then thank you for tolerating me. It's been all such. Uh, this was great,
1: man. You you have just a a great a great affinity for all the stuff that uh, to most people out there who follow me and watch my stuff, they have no idea who these people were, what half those shows were, and I I. You know, man, I was a Rat Pack freak. Um, I met Sammy Davis a couple of times. Hmm. Sammy Davis Jr. was the first show I ever saw live. My parents took me for my twelfth birthday, and then years later, Lake Tahoe again. And I'll tell this story as as a final, you know, uh, Blutman story, but it's pretty funny, and has been written about. Um, So we're in Lake Tahoe, and we're going uh, after my buddy's show to the other hotel and Jerry Lewis was performing and Jerry was holding court in his dressing room. There was about 10 of us in the room and I was close to the door and there was a doggy gate on, you know, between the door because he had two little Shih Tzus, of course Jerry Lewis did or Pomeranian, whatever they were. Anyway, um, I'm hanging out and most of the action is deep in the dressing room and all of a sudden I hear jingle, jingle, jingle. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Somebody's trying to open the doggy gate, and it's locked. And I turn. Oh, my gosh, it's Sammy Davis Jr. Hang on, Sammy. And I go, hang on, Sammy. Right away there. I think somehow I crossed (laughs) the line. But anyway, and I try and open the door, and I can't open the doggy gate. And at the time, you know, I was younger, before I was married, and I drank a little bit. And I had a couple of beers in me. I was a little buzzed at the time. And you make that quick decision. Sammy is on the outside of the gate. Sammy needs to be inside the room. How do I do this? Well, he's a small man. I picked up Sammy Davis Jr, lifted him over the doggy <laughs> gate, and placed him down. Everybody turned, including my friend, who is you know responsible for me being there since he's famous and nobody knows who I am. And everybody's staring at me with that. Lutman, what have you done look? And time stood still. And it all depended on what Sammy would do. Mm. And Sammy did Sammy. He just stomped his legs and hit the floor. And it was the funniest thing ever. He he laughed and laughed. And everything was okay with the world. But I lifted up. Sammy, how do I do this? Hang on.
3: Wow. Uh, In fact, oh. Is, and Howie Mandel. Oh, That's
1: is- my buddy who was performing there, yeah. So uh, there's me, and there's, there's Sammy, and there's Howie.
2: Wow.
1: Uh, this is a dear friend, Michael Rotenberg, who's a big manager. Mm-hmm. He's one of the owners of Three Arts mm-hmm. Entertainment. Uh, Terry Dannister, another friend and manager. I think he now works for Nat Geo, our friend Tommy G, Eli, Sammy, Lou, me with hair. But yeah, that was. Uh, so I love that stuff is the point of why I went into this and told that story. I love old showbiz, man. It's, I am so, you know, uh, like not indebted, that's too big a word, but just, I have so much love and appreciation for everybody who did whatever they did before. And cause that was the stuff I read about. That was the stuff I watched, you know, watching the honeymooners. I'm like, I'm going to write TV one day, like all that stuff. So for me, I know. And so I hope you know my advice to you know the the 20 something and you know year old writers out there pursuing it, know, know what came first. know the old stuff. It, it can't hurt.
2: Anyway,
3: mm-hmm. that's I, my tried to, uh, I tried to lift up Peter Lawford once, but he was heavy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now by the way, there are lifts and don't lifts. Robert Goulet is a don't lift. Absolutely. Frank Sinatra. Frank do not, Sinatra, don't do lift. Joey Bishop, who cares? Right, you lift yeah. Joey Bishop. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. But, <laughs> Frank Frank is a, Rickles is probably a difficult lift. You don't lift Bob Newhart. You lift. Mm-hmm.
3: And that was their relationship in a nutshell. You need a lift and a don't lift, and that's the Abbott and Costello of it.
0: Yeah, I met Don Rickles That's once. That's
3: awesome. I met Don. And Rickles. how much? How much did he weigh at the
0: time? I didn't lift him. I didn't. Ah, I would. I would ah, not lift him. I would not lift him. He
3: was definitely
1: a, yeah. a later years don't lift.
0: Yeah, he was. He was on Dennis the Menace two, where I was a PA on that show. Wow. Yeah, and he he played. Uh, I don't remember Dennis's uh, neighbor, uh, Mister. I don't remember the character. Wilson. Mister Wilson. There you Wilson. go. Yeah, uh, and uh, he he was everything you expect on Rickles to be. <laughs> everything you expect on Rickles to be. Um, but That's no, awesome. he was great. He was great, though. But uh, yeah, so it's so funny. Uh, yeah, talking about old Hollywood. When I was at CIA, I worked for an agent named Martin Baum. He was one of the partners, one of the senior talent agents, started the agency along with uh, Ron Meyer and Mike Ovitz and all those guys. And, you know, some of his older clients, and he had some, you know, uh, newer clients, newer meaning you know more recent clients, the John Voight's of the world, and things like that. But he had some old school clients, the Blake Edwards and the uh, uh, sure. the uh, Richard Attenboroughs of the world. So it was definitely interesting seeing them come through the office, and, and uh, you know some of them, some of them telling their stories. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely sort of particular about that as well. Have taken to uh, uh, he made he made every assistant read a book that he was in that was about the founding of CAA <laughs> and how he used to represent John Wayne back in the day and things yeah. like that. So uh, my uh,
1: my ex wife uh, used to work for Robert Evans. Mm. There's some old Hollywood right there, and has uh, got a few stories.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: bet. Hashtag pre meet two. That uh, was way before, but that uh, boy, I'll call it back <laughs> then. Darker. But,
0: um, but thank you both gentlemen for coming on. It's been fun. I mean, we could talk longer, but I know it's been well over our 90 minutes. Awesome. And I don't want to keep yeah. you guys. Uh, make sure you follow Mark on Twitter. It's at Blutman Mark uh, and RJ City. It's at RJ City one. I don't know who's RJ City zero who took the f- a
3: person who hasn't tweeted in 10 years that's and I insulting contact years. about it every three months and they
0: don't do anything about it that's and they should be ashamed of themselves Infuriating. yeah i know but you got- don't
1: do anything to- i had an imposter doing me two months ago i still can't get a blue check like really I don't i've been doing this forever i don't i don't even know how how
2: yeah like, i don't know to get
1: it i just go add verified kenya and they're like they don't answer me i had an imposter who was setting up DMS to follow him and come to the clubhouse and make that Ew.
2: Ew. Ew. RJ, you know, RJ this,
3: city one, send them your background picture and say, that's me. <laughs> bottom, right. Give me my check Mark.
0: I, I think RJ is going to have to make some <laughs> calls. He has a check Mark. He needs to yes, make some calls. I do. Or send an email or have I'll your, pe- have your people have your people contact their, my final thought, Twitter. Yeah.
1: final thought. Yeah, yeah. We all get one final thought. Yep. Mine is, What if we lived in a world where David Arquette could not get verified? (laughs) My
3: My final final thought, thought. my final thought is that there's some days when even David Arquette isn't sure he's David Arquette.
0: I don't have a final David Arquette thought because I've never met David Arquette. My final thought is I never expected to have a wrestling raconteur on the show when I normally have screenwriters showrunners lit reps and things so it was an absolute pleasure and i need to diversify the guests that come on the podcast i think uh,
3: i was i'm the only wrestler after this skip it oh no not just wrestlers
0: but you know open it because you're not just a wrestler you say you're just a wrestler right you're also an actor a dramatist if you will well comedian yes uh monologist an ologist of many types and forms uh, and apparently, I saw on uh, your YouTube channel, you're also a great barista serving mm-hmm. coffees to other large professional wrestlers in yeah. your underwear. So, yeah. you know, and you host your own show on Sundays, which <laughs> apparently Cold is service. very, very popular. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, you're a one-stop shop. Yes. You're not just yeah, a wrestler. Another talented Canadian. Yeah. Yes. So, thank you, gentlemen, for coming on today and thank and. here shooting the shit and having a a blast with us and uh we will see we're off next this saturday because of the fourth holiday and we will see you on the 10th for our interview and live q a with lit manager uh chris cook of skyway entertainment thank you mark thank you rj thank Thank you all for watching we will see you next time everybody take care